book of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Jesus left the place where he'd been teaching and went back to the regions of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that area came out and shouted, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is badly demon-possessed. But Jesus did not answer her a word. Then his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away. She keeps shouting after us. Now Jesus answered, I was not sent to any except the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before Jesus, saying, Lord, help me. Then Jesus said, It is not good to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord. Yet the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their Lord's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed that moment. All right, now let me see if I can get my slides on here. Ryan, do you see any pictures in this? Okay. Will you will you pull out of it and come back in so it'll refresh? While Ryan's doing that, I will uh, frame it up a little bit. Um, so, um, as we mentioned during communion, uh, this is our last Sunday at Skillman. And starting in August, so we have a, our annual customary Sabbath during the month of July where we prune back and rest from our gatherings, rest with our families, play. We Maybe we'll do a brunch or something, but it'll be on the spur and ad hoc and such. It'll be a pretty low key July this month. When we come back in August, we will, um, will be reorganized. And really, uh, those of us, Kaisers and Howards and Sarah Holland, um, have approximately five weeks to kind of figure out what that even begins to look like initially in the month of August. Um, and, um, part of what I want to share this morning is a framework I've been thinking about as I've been thinking about, okay, what, what might come next? What might it look like? Um, and, um, for, for those of you who are visiting, uh, this decision to go into a couple of different directions is the month, uh, the result of, uh, maybe a four or five month discernment process where we have listened to the whole community and entered the leadership team has interviewed every participant in the community about what's life giving and life draining. And, and, uh, historically storyline has been like a network of smaller missional communities that are embedded in neighborhoods or networks of relationship. And COVID required us to kind of come all back to together and consolidate, um, in this space, which for the last couple of years has been a gift to us. So our discernment leads us to scatter again, to decentralize, um, to be closer to our, um, our various neighborhoods on some level. Um, 
So one of the, the frameworks that I have been thinking about, I just want to share with you about, um, and, and, uh, maybe it hits you differently than it hits me, but I think just at the level of, um, if, if part of this reorganizing is sending us into our neighborhoods more deeply with deeper attention, um, how do we do that? What are some handles for that? And I think this, this can serve us individually as neighbors in our specific neighborhoods who want to love our neighbors. It can also serve us communally um, in our little spiritual communities as we think about what might it look like for us to do that together on some level. So I want to share this with you. And there is a tie-in to this story about the Canaanite woman. So I'm not, I'm not, um, and I don't think it's incidental. So I will, I will connect. Um, but, but the impulse of the conversation this morning for me is more about, um, oh, priming the pump for the season that might come ahead for us. And, and, and I realized a moment of confession and transparency. It has been my pattern. And I just will name it. It's been my pattern since COVID at every moment to champ at the bit. So like, okay, when can we go and do things and serve and find our neighbors? And, you know, it's just how I'm wired, right? And several, at several occasions, I've had to um, pull back and be like, Ooh, we just need to heal. We need to rest. We need, uh, we need to play. Um, so I, uh, hear what I'm going to share, uh, in that, uh, you know, you all know me in that way. And I, there's a part of me that's like, man, we're about to go into Sabbath. We should probably talk about rest and not what are we going to do when we get back from rest? You know, like how can we rest so that we can do all these cool things that I want to do, you know? Um, but rest well too. Yeah. That's all I got. That's all I got for Sabbath. Uh, part for the course, right? Um, we are going to rest. That will be our spiritual practice. It will be a thing that we do. Uh, but I'm not going to talk about that much. Uh, okay. So Ryan, you got a picture for me? Yay. Oh, can you go back one? Yay. Okay. Um, this, this framework is, uh, from a book by J.R. Woodward and Dan White. And it's, uh, th- this is a way of kind of a na- um, imagining different points of connection around you. And it is, it's geared and framed for your neighborhood. Uh, but it can also apply not just to like a specific geographical area um, that you live in. It can also apply, as we'll see, to um, the connecting points, you know, the social hubs, the what um, one sociologist called the third places, you know, not where we live or where we where we work, but kind of where we hang, um, restaurants and bars and board gaming times and stuff like that. So um, it, it's just a way of seeing the world around you um if if loving our neighbors has um so much to do with just paying attention and being open and available to relationships with our neighbors this is a tool a framework that can help us pay attention um uh, the first element of this framework of connection in our neighborhood is the porch which um the porch is about um our space it's about hospitality 
It's about um, our our connection in our own homes, on our own front porch, or on the front porches of our of our neighbors, places where we we spend time together, where we where we welcome. It's where we consider is my is my home um, mainly about like protection and security, or is it also about uh, hospitality and welcome? and inviting other people in. Uh, some questions for the porch are, are we open to using our home for hospitality with neighbors? Am I open to sharing my resources with my neighbors? Do I know my neighbors' names? Um, have I offered to help them uh, mow their lawn, help with their breaks, babysit their kids? Do I use holidays to create connecting points? These are the questions for the porch. Um, do you see your home first through the lens of protective security or sacred hospitality? And it may not be, I don't think it's either or. I think it can be both. Uh, the second point in this framework are the pathways in our neighborhoods. These are, these are the, the in-betweens the the routes that we take to go to and fro um are we driving are we walking when julie and i take our kids uh well now our kid um down the sidewalk around the corner to the elementary school um it's about opportunities for connection and attention along the way how much of the stories of the gospel is jesus along the way open to interruption and paying attention when it happens, when he's stopped, when a Canaanite woman comes up and says, I have a request. Can you help me? Uh, and, and it's what we do along the, the pathways, um, uh, questions for the pathways. What routes do we want to take to engage our neighbors? Do we walk? Do we drive? Are there people along our pathways we've never noticed? Are we open to stopping along the path? Do we consistently take the same pathways? Okay, the third, the third element are the pivots. This is, these are uh, pivots. I think they just needed a P word because this one feels the most like a stretch to me. But the the pivot is the places where people, uh, you know, imagine I think about pivoting in basketball, like, you know, you're pivoting with your foot or whatever. Uh, I think I think these the pivots are they're the third places. They're the social hubs. It's the it's the the coffee shop where somebody comes in, gets their coffee. Maybe they sit down and read the news or hang out and then they're pivoting to something next or they're running an errand. And they come and spend time in this place and then they pivot to whatever's next. These, these are places where you could pivot and there's people gathered from your neighborhood, from your city in these environments. It's a spot where different sorts of people mingle and where relational intersections occur. Here's some questions for the pivots. Are you a regular? Uh, have you made introductions? 
what what communities collide in the pivots in your neighborhood? Um, where are your regular pivots, be it the YMCA or the local pub, McDonald's, the bus stop, the park? So those are those are pivots. We've got the porch, the pathways, the pivots, and all of this within the context of the fourth, which is um, the parish, or the idea that that there is there is within um, this context of porch and pathways and pivots, the the broader picture is this a geographical area that uh, like the Catholic Church traditionally calls their areas parishes. It's the way that they kind of divvy up, and there's plenty of colonial nonsense associated with that. But um, um, put that or that's not intended. Um, but again, they needed a P word. Parish is a way of thinking about this slice of neighborhood, this slice of city. Um, how, in what ways are we committed to flourishing and justice and goodness in the systems and the structures and the people that inhabit this broader geographical area? In, in what ways do we feel like, you know, Junius Heights or um, or J.J. Pierce neighborhood or the Maple District Lofts, you know, it's like, this is my, this is my parish. This is my, this is my place. I feel some sense of ownership and commitment, not just to the well-being of my family, but like the well-being of my neighbors in this space. And I, I want to speak up when I see my neighbors at the margins who are who are being harmed or neglected or who don't have a voice in the systems and structures of this parish. It is, it is a way to make the the powers and principles. It's our, actually our it's our engagement with it is it's the it's the way the powers and the the principalities kind of uh, present themselves to us that we don't see them at the big picture. We experience them on the ground level in geographical areas like this in in parishes. So here's some questions for the parish. How do we fuel love for this place, this parish? What it, what's the beauty in our place? What's the brokenness in our place? How do we make the pains of this place our pains? So those are the kind of the parish questions. So this is a way of just uh, orienting ourselves to our neighborhoods around us, to points of connections. Thank you, Ryan. Um, and I think, so we, a couple, few, three weeks ago, we talked about the uh, the Great Commission text, go in all the world, make disciples. So a glaring question after that conversation is, what's the what's the role of Jesus community, spiritual community, church, in the midst of this neighborhood kind of city context and and how does the church uh take on a posture that is not imperialistic or colonizing or patronizing or paternalistic where the church kind of sees itself uh a la our european ancestors and and conquerors 
um, who went through all the world, subjugating the peoples of the world. How do we not like repeat that? Because that was pretty crummy. How do we how do we enter with a different posture than one that assumes we're the church? We have got all of the answers. We need to save all the heathens in our neighbor in our neighborhoods and bring them to Christ and evangelize them um, and fix all of the brokenness and darkness that's in our neighborhoods. Because all of us know that the darkness and brokenness is in the church too, right? Yeah. And we also know that there's a lot of goodness and beauty on the streets. Yeah. Um, so how do we how do we navigate? How do we be the church in that context? Um, three things I want to say. that help us have a non-colonizing posture. Um, Number one, this is God's world and we're living in it. God is already in our neighborhood. We're not bringing God anywhere. That's a missional theology 101. Um, So we're, we're, we, if we went into our neighborhoods to try to engage God and what God was doing, we, we go knowing Jesus is already there. Jesus is already at work. Number two, Allah, our story this morning um, and related to our neighbors, uh, they they already image God. I love this story about the Canaanite woman who's like a in Israelite imagination. She is the outside of the outside. She is she is the, you know, the, the she's a pagan. Uh, she's she's the the other, the the enemy. Um the, the, the lore about the Canaanite people, right? In the Hebrew Bible, there's all kinds of stories about how terrible Canaan was to Israel and how Israel wanted to subjugate Canaan for the way that Canaan had subjugated Israel. Um, and here is a Canaanite woman. She's a woman. She's an outsider. And in this story, she is the one convincing Jesus and demonstrating her deep faith as an outsider to Israel. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 uh, I, I'm here for Israel. That's like, that's my, that's my main mission. Um, so let, let me do, kind of do my thing, my focus. She's like, no, 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 no. I mean, she like outwits Jesus, right? Uh, some would say, and maybe this is true. Some would say Jesus had some like tribalistic learning to do in this story. Like he needed this woman to push at his boundaries. And maybe that's true. I think it's more likely that um, Jesus knows exactly what is happening in this encounter um, and that Jesus is not being tribalistic. But this is a way that Jesus is like share, showing the disciples. Um, uh, you, you should be challenged by the faith of this woman and by the way God is in this woman because Jesus knows um God's promise to Abraham to bless the whole world. Um, Jesus later says in the gospel that his mission is to go to all the nations. Um, Jesus knows what he's up to, I think. Uh, but I think, again, the import of this story for me is God is in our neighbors. The faith of God is in our neighbors. Uh, we just have to go and find it and connect to it. So we're not coming from a posture up here to people down here, we're coming as equals with our neighbors who are made in the image of God to discover the image of God in each other, to discover God's work um, in each other. That's part of the way we avoid imperialism.
All right. So what's what's our role? If God is already there, if our neighbors are already. Oh, man, I'm going long. Um, if our neighbors are already in the image of God. Um, I don't have to say much about this because this has been kind of our mantra. Uh, what's our role? Give give me the rest of that, Ryan. Yep. Um, it, it's the contemplative stance. How do we operate? How do what's our what's our posture in our neighborhoods? It is to show up to our neighbors, to each other. Um, it's to pay attention, to look for what God is up to, and to join in when we see God. Um, doing things that are just and beautiful uh, and good and kind. We, we join in to that. Uh, and um, most importantly, I think, especially for a, for a post-colonial kind of posture, we release those friggin' outcomes. And we don't try to control them because that's how terrible things happen. We, we release the outcomes and we let God do and our neighbors do what they will do. And uh, one missiologist describes this kind of posture as like a dance with the divine community and with our neighbors. That we're we're not coming from up here. We're we're coming to discover the dance of God in our neighborhood and to join in that dance. I'm a terrible dancer. Please forgive me for my sway back and forth. Uh, yeah, it's dad dancing. Yeah, yeah. We're joining. I'm trying to like include the Trinity and my neighbors in my dance. This will never be posted online. <laughs> uh, but if the divine community is this fellowship of mother, son, and spirit that are connecting and dancing and, and weaving their beauty in the world, um, and our neighbors reflect the image of this divine community. Thank you, Siri. And we do too. Part of our, part of our work is we just join the dance. And in the dance, you don't control the dance. You don't control even the steps of the dance. You just go with the flow. I think if I was a dancer, I would know, but you just go with the flow. You join in the dance. You enjoy the music and the beauty of it. I think if I was a dancer, um, what, well, what positives do you see in this framework? Uh, what pushbacks? do you have for this framework? Uh, As someone who did a lot less dancing in my (laughs) former years, um, I think there can, like, even though it feels like dancing feels free to a lot of people, it can feel real uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. I just think that's, you know, it's just the reality of letting go. Yep. Letting go can feel real uncomfortable. Yes. Yep. Uh, both for us, uh, for us religious folks who haven't danced, as it were, a lot, and for our neighbors who have been trampled on by the church, who they're uncomfortable in the dance, maybe for different reasons, right? That part of the dance in the neighborhood is being patient enough for folks to, I don't know, can I trust this dance? Will I be harmed in this dance? Um, And that is important, holy work. uh, to be safe people to join the dance with. 
Sarah, did you have one? Um, I think that I think that some of the ways that God shows up is that God shows up and pays attention uh-huh. and joins in what's happening uh-huh. too. And when we like mirror that, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. Um, we're going to feel like we look stupid sometimes, like we don't know what we're talking about. I think Jesus probably knew what he was talking about, but I don't, I don't even know if God is like sitting there going like, I know the answer, but I'm going to act like I don't know the answer. Okay. I'm going to put this over on you. Like, I don't even know if God cares that much. Like Jesus was just there. He's like, Hey, did you guys notice? Look, she has all this faith. And it's like, we have to be okay with not thinking about the answers all the time and not thinking about the right way to do things, but Mm. just like letting it go and being in the middle of it. Mm. Um, and I, ironically, I think that's one of the best ways that Jesus teaches is by letting go. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. That we're, we're not being dissimilar to God to have this posture. We're actually imitating God who is comfortable being out of control as it were, uh, uh, honoring the agency of those who are around God. Yeah. Thank you. I think part of it too, and you know, I'm, I'm all with the show up. <laughs> yeah. Just show up, be in community, be with your group, uh, be with your neighborhood, walk around. The difficult thing I think for all of us, but well, no, let me say for me is paying attention to what's going on. Mm. It is so stinking easy to show up and to say, God, I'm willing to join. But I'm so self-absorbed mm. that I don't notice what's going on. Yeah. And um, I think that tends to be. I wasn't issue. amening that I see that in you. I was resonating. Personally. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Daryl. I feel that. Uh Yeah, sometimes uh I'll leave the neighborhood pool or whatever and think, I did not look up one time from my book. I wasn't thinking about anybody else. I was just all in my world. What did I miss by not having moments where I was paying attention? Yeah. Well, first of all, Charles, I want to thank you for, for us going over this because it does remind us and, and I'm, I've, I've been taking notes and reflecting. The first thing is, is that we got rid of our table or picnic table uh-huh. and the our neighbors table? down the street. Uh, listen, Michael have it. Okay. <laughs> uh, the neighbors down the street wanted to know where it went. Um, and so, through this, I'm thinking of a couple of things of, of putting some chairs out front. You know, if the picnic table is gone, putting some chairs out there. Uh, second thing that I was thinking of when you were talking about is sometimes there's already things going on and we may not know that or whatever. Mm. I was getting very excited about it because um, in a couple of years, um, Ennis is building this 22,000 square foot facility that will be housed in. But I'm really excited because they're going to, they're building washers and dryers, having washers and dryers and building showers because our homeless population has really increased in in Ennis. And we've never had that hardly ever before. And so I'm just excited to think about those possibilities. So what I'm saying is there's some things going on that we can show up to and and be there um, that may already be existing that you know that that um that we can join in because it's already there that's right so yeah the i think um 
Jesus sets a great example on that level too, in the way that he's the he is the guest at so many different tables, and that part of following Jesus is being the guest in our neighborhood and not just feeling like we because um talk about uncertainty being a guest has way more uncertainty and way less control than being the host where we're like okay here's the parameters and the rules and the here's what we're going to do here's the agenda um but sometimes we just need to show up at other people's stuff yeah yeah i got to piggyback on that real quick i'll get it to you i'm sorry uh because it, it just something hit me when she said that is that churches typically being a guy that was, you know, a preacher. Churches typically say, let's create something here and serve the community. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get this program going, all that, rather than looking in the community saying, this is already happening. How can I walk into mm-hmm. that? I've often said when in Ennis was, you know, I wish this church would just kill all of its programs and become the volunteer force for Ennis yeah. and just join wherever things are happening. Yep. I think that's a big deal. That's good. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, the porch. One of the key things is like you talked about, are we willing to help our neighbors? A big thing is, are we willing to ask our neighbors for help? Yes. How much are we willing to say, will you help me? Yep. Absolutely. Yep. That's good. Daryl and Sarah. Oh, this is all. Um, enjoying this so far and i love the contemplative stance here because it really it kicks my butt a little bit and it pushes back against um probably some of my own religious trauma um the thing that comes to the head i think for many of us it's the release the outcomes part um you know it it, it made me reflect on my junior year of high school um i went to this in hindsight very problematic uh church camp on evangelism uh what percentage of the church camps we went to were very problematic <laughs> no, yeah yeah no offense to any youth ministers that you know might be in the room yeah. that's right <laughs> i was right under the dome it was creating weird echoes i just get back <laughs> um and this this in particular one uh it was called youth wave and it was this boot camp style thing where you like went, uh, this one was in Austin and they were like, we're just, I mean, it was intense and, and we're going to teach you how to be, how to evangelize and, and sort of the like tentacle of the week, sort of your like, your like final thesis at the end of all of this work was that they dropped you down uh, off in downtown Austin in groups of two or three. Like, uh, in, par- like in parachutes. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> More like 15 passenger vans and they just threw you out this thing on some street corner. Uh, and, and they, they were like, we'll be back in three hours and then we're all going to get together and talk about all the amazing experiences we created by living into our faith by doing this. Talk about the opposite of releasing the outcomes. Yeah, we literally had a shot clock on <laughs> when we needed to produce the outcomes. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, and, and that was the, the sort of like, Okay, you know, th- this mentality that I think, at least for me, underpinned a lot of my childhood religious experiences was, okay, that's cool. You went and, you know, sat with this homeless person, but like, how much did you tell them about Jesus? And did you like really tell them about Jesus? Or yeah. did you just come like, oh, this is Jesus? You know, like, like how, how authentic were you and sharing your faith judged on how well you produce results? Um, and, you know, I remember I spent my three hours 
talking most of it to a homeless guy. Um, and at the end of it, we learned about his life story and he was like, so y'all Christians or social workers? We were like, Christians. <laughs> and it was like, it's usually one of the two. It was nice meeting you guys. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was my experience in that. Um, so this, like, I love, so I challenge, like, I am challenged by, um, because that was such an underpinning of my, my, uh, childhood religious experience, conceptualizing, um, authentic religious community absent that type of existential pressure, um, of a shot clock. Uh, and, and I love that release the outcomes one. Yeah. Um, because so often I'm outcomes driven. It's, it's, uh, how I, live a lot of my life in other ways. Uh, and so that challenge to just say, just do it and be present, show up. And you don't have to ask why, um, you don't have to ask, how's it going? Um, I don't know. I, I still struggle to get <laughs> fully to that place, but I really like the sound of it. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's where I need more contemplation of understanding that. Deeper. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, I appreciate that. And you and I are a lot alike in our love for outcomes. <laughs> I think there are still outcomes in this. Um, and I, I want to participate in those. Mm-hmm. I just don't control them. I want to participate in the outcomes of beauty and justice and love, um, and flourishing in my neighborhood. Uh, I, I want that. I desire that. But part of the pathway there is like, uh, uh, not this, but like, all right, what, where's it surfacing? Uh, how do I join in? And I don't have to feel terrible about myself, uh, to live under the delusion that I could like bring any of that about if I try, like, it's so liberating, right? Um, but it's my, it's my white male default for sure. It's maybe that the outcomes look different than our preconceived notions yes. of what yeah. they are supposed to look like. Yeah, that's right. Okay, Julie Kaiser, the last word. Right, I'll I'll wrap all this up for you. Um, With the final pushback. (laughs) He's met me. Um, So I'm just thinking, I I mean, I I just echo so much of what you all say, which makes me so thankful to be a part of this community. Um, And I think I just finished rereading. um, My favorite book is The Alchemist, and I read it once every year or two. And I always get, if you've read it, I don't know if you haven't, you'll still follow this. Um, one of the most frustrating things in the book is this boy's on his personal journey to find, uh, let's just say like his, his personal treasure. And, um, and so he has this very clear omen that he is following to get there. And along the way, he spends, he'll, he's like, I'm just stopping here for the night. And then the next chapter will be like one year later, the boy was still, and you're like, come on, man. And then after you, you know, I've read it. So I used to feel so bad for him. Like he could have gotten to the end of this book a lot sooner. Um, And then you kind of see as the book goes on that the boy, all of those experiences that the boy was, boy was having during those times were what enabled him to see the signs and the omens that give him in the end to his personal treasure. And he doesn't know it at the time, obviously, that then he remember. you know, chapters later, he remembers what he was learning along this way is what is 
is helping him see what's next. And, um, and that's really hard because you read it and you're like, years, man, like years, like you did this piddly job that had nothing to do with your personal treasure for years. And I feel that way sometimes when I think about releasing the outcome of like, um, well, my gosh, how long is this going to go on? Or like, how long do I just, you know, casually do this or pay attention or, and especially as someone whose family is financially supported by, um, the church and generally church leadership wants to see outcomes, um, as a business. And it's just such a monumental shift to think, can church leadership as we move forward in the future, not this church leadership necessarily, but church leadership say, Hey, we know that these years spent doing what we originally maybe thought was not producing outcomes. We can see that this is part of the journey of joining God. And we see that as outcome, um, that development that is happening um, by just showing up. And that's a hard shift for church. We were not brought up that way. We were brought up. You've got to have a soul eternity formative conversation in three hours with someone so that if they die tonight, you know, it just wasn't the dynamic. And I feel like even though I've disentangled from that dynamic, it still clutches a part of me as um failure and success um in this. And so that's, it's really hard for me to um think I'll release the outcomes, but like, what kind of timetable are we on for that? Like, that's really hard for me to, which I guess is not releasing the outcomes. Yeah. After all. Thank you, Julie. Well, all right. The last word after that, the last word and the last word after that. Is is that the first thing that you have is porch, right? Uh-huh. And in our neighborhood, we do have porches because we. We should live also in a, put potty in there. We somewhere. <laughs> yeah. we we Very live important. in a historic district, so a lot of our houses have porches. And if you think back, either through your parents or your grandparents, years ago there was always a porch on the house, right? And where did people gather mm-hmm. on the porch, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You're out there. Your neighbors come by. They talk. You talk. That kind of thing. And so. It it just occurred to me, and of course we've got a side porch and a back porch, but we have to create space. Yep. And so think thinking of it as wherever we are, how can we create space that we are out there for our neighbors to see? And I think that's an important thing, is is that create some kind of space, whatever that looks like in our neighborhood. I remember when we used to come to y'all's house, I it, it was something that hit me right off the bat was that people had those chairs and fire pits in the front yard, which at first I thought, well, that's kind of strange. <laughs> Why would you want to sit out front on a fire pit? People or, looking at you know, it. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'd have that in the backyard or whatever. But that was a really big impression on me of that. And I thought, well, how neat is that? Because you create that space and then you go out there and sit and your neighbor, hey, hey, come on over, you know, huh. come on over and let's visit. And so I think that we have to, if the porch is the first thing to start with, then we have to create that space where our neighbors would go by and we could say, hey, come sit down yep. or whatever. Right so. on. Thank you, Terry. Thank you all. It's been, uh, uh, I look down and it's after 12. That's how much fun I had talking about all of this with you all. Thank you for your engagement. And I just want you to know, I'm. I'm praying for you all as you rest in the next month. And I'm, I'm praying with you all as we discern um, 
what comes next. There, as we've said, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of outcome releasing that is just part of the, it's inherent to whatever is coming next as we discern and discover um, what God is up to so we can join in. So, and I invite you to um, pray with us, join in that, um, in all of the vibe sending. Uh, so 